This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hi, I'm Raylene Berry. I am truly excited to be your host for today's podcast. In this series, we have looked at trials, failure, and suffering, while today we will look at loss, both personal and material, as another of life's breakings. Let's see what God does with loss. We will hear from Grace alumnus, former adjunct professor, Bible teacher, and pastor Mark Ray, who has stepped into the role of VP of Community Development for Grace and Executive Director of the Center for Grace. Let's listen in as Mark Ray, who taught this series at Midland Bible Church, as he shares loss versus gain. We have been looking for the last number of weeks at how does God make us strong in the midst of us being broken? How does he make us strong in those places that break us in life? The first week we looked at trials that break us, and we saw coming out of James that out of those trials he develops in us endurance and patience and a perfection of our faith. The next week we looked at the life of Peter and the fact that out of his failures, they were not fatalities in his life. They were, as a matter of fact, places where he found forgiveness and he found purpose. He found reconciliation. He found that opportunity to be brought back into a relationship with God. Last week we looked at the difficulties of suffering that they could come about from Satan or from sin or from seemingly nowhere. And many times there doesn't seem to be an answer to why am I suffering? Why this affliction? And yet the promises of God are that he's in the middle of it. He puts a purpose in front of us. He does refine us through these difficult times. And though we don't always have his mind, we have his heart. And it's a heart that holds on to us. Today, we're going to continue in Strong at the Broken Places, and today we look at loss. Loss is another one of those things that breaks us, and we're going to look at it in two different fashions. The first is personal loss, loss of a family member, loss of a spouse, loss of a child, loss of someone close to us. And how does God, what does God give us in the midst of that loss? The second thing we're going to look at is material loss. Money, finances, houses, whatever the material things that are in our life that suddenly we may be without. And what does God give us in the midst of those material losses as well? I'll share with you this morning, this is not an easy message as none of the previous three have been because we're talking about difficult times. But in the midst of those difficult times, what I pray and what I hope you see is the exhortation and the encouragement that you're not alone. Christ is in the middle of it with you. And there is a reason behind why you go through what you go through that God allows that in your life to strengthen you. We talked about it the first week, how he takes broken vessels, you and me, and creates something incredibly beautiful because it's been broken. So we're going to look at the personal loss in our lives and we're going to look at the material loss in our lives. The, the overarching verse that is there for this comes from Paul out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. 
Paul has just given us an entire laundry list of all of the reasons why he should be succeeding, all of the reasons why he's head and shoulders above everybody else. His pedigree was perfect. The right tribe, the right nation, the right time, circumcised the right day. He had all of the right pedigree, born on the right side of the tracks. But he also had a performance that was above anybody else. Studied the law, zealous as a Jew to to take the law to every part of life, including persecuting Christians because he believed in his theology as cursed as he who hangs on a tree until he realized that Christ was cursed for him. When that happened, it completely changed his theology. And out of that comes this statement out of Philippians 3, verse 8. Listen to it. Paul says, Yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Let me just stop there for a minute. What he says is, everything that I've just listed for you, all the things that life tells you is important, the pedigree and the performance I consider loss. I count it as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, what he means there is he uses a little Greek word that's called epigenosis. We looked at it in length when we studied this book. And it's that experiential knowledge of Christ, the the knowledge of Christ, the intimacy with Christ that only comes through loss. It only comes through those difficult times of loss. It's the only way we get to know Christ at this level. He goes on and he says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now he has a little play on words here. The first thing he tells us is, I count all things lost. Everything I had in my past I count as loss. And by the way, I have lost all things. We know at the end of chapter 4 in Philippians that he tells us he had want and he had plenty. That Paul was a guy who had everything in the world, including the financial well-being, but he also was a guy who knew the poverty level, not knowing where his next meal was going to come from. Paul knew them both, and in all of that, he said, not only did I count everything that I thought was important lost, but now I'm here to tell you that I lost everything. And here's what it means. I gained Christ in the midst of it all. It moved me to the point of having this intimate, deep, experiential relationship with Christ that I could have gotten anywhere else. And for Paul, and I pray for us, for Paul, that's what was important. That he got to know Christ in a way he would have never known him before. The principle of the morning is that out of loss comes gain. And we're going to look at what that gain is. We're going to look at that loss and that gain. And the question really becomes, what is God doing in the midst of the loss that I'm encountering right now? What is he showing me that I gain out of this difficult time? Let's talk first of all about personal loss. One of the things that God provides that I don't want us to take for granted is that God provides a person in the midst of our loss. I want you to hear what Matthew 28, verse 20 says. This is the Great Commission. This is Jesus saying, the last thing he tells the disciples, go make disciples, teaching them all all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son. And here's what he says then in verse 20, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. 
I am with you. He uses the term I am, which is the term for God. I am with you. With who? Could we make this personal? Say, I am with me. He is with me, even in the midst of difficult times. Lo, I am with you. How, how often? And what does always mean? Yeah. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age, even when time runs out on this earth, I am still with you. And then he puts this nice exclamation point on there. Amen. Can I have an amen? Amen. That's the exclamation point that says Christ never leaves us, never forsakes us. Over 50 times in the scriptures, we are told, don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't be afraid, I will not leave you or forsake you. The God of the universe has made a promise to us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're indwelt by Christ himself, and we have access to the throne room of God. How much more can we understand that Christ never, ever leaves us, even when it feels like he has? His promise to us is, in the middle of great loss, he is with us. I've shared with you in the past about my father who passed away eight years ago. And my wife's father, who passed away four years ago, very difficult times. What I haven't shared with you is very early in our marriage, Melissa and I have been married 32 years, and in our first year of marriage, we found out we were with child. And five months into the pregnancy, we lost that child. One day we went in to hear the heartbeat, and we heard the heartbeat, and the next appointment, we heard nothing. And we'd lost a child. And at the end of that experience, what we came to understand is he has never left us in the midst of all of it. No matter what loss there is, whether it's a parent, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, he's always there. We've remarked to each other, how does somebody who doesn't know Christ make it through that? Because it is only in the fact that the God of the universe says, I will not leave you that I take incredible comfort in that. Maybe you're suffering a loss right now. The loss of someone dear to you, the loss of someone special to you. And what you need to understand, the first promise that God gives us is that he gives us himself. Selflessly, sacrificially, he gives us himself. God says, you got me. How great is that? That the God of the universe, the all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe says, I give you me. Amen. The second thing he gives us, God provides us a process. Yes, I'm going to go with a couple of Ps here. First he gives us a person, now he gives us a process. But I want you to hear this process because this is really important, especially in the midst of, of a personal loss. This comes out of Ecclesiastes 3. We know this passage. This is the wonderful passage that the birds wrote a great song to years ago. We hear this passage over and over again, but I want to point you to some very specific things out of this passage. Ecclesiastes 3 starts this way, to everything there is a season. Now, let me just stop there. To how many things is there a season? To everything there is a season, which means there is a season for happiness, there is a season for sadness, there is a season for life, there is a season. All the different seasons of life, they have a beginning and they have an end. And those beginnings and ends mark new beginnings. Remember the video, God is the God of new beginnings. 
And so he starts us with, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And each season has its own purpose. And now he gets this laundry list that starts with this, a time to be born and a time to die. Let me stop there for a minute because Melissa and I just came back from being with our fourth grandchild who was born a week ago Thursday. This little new life that is there that you sit there and you think and you process and you pray about this new life and what God has in hope and in store for this new life. At the same time, we came back to Midland after being four days feeding this and, and playing with and burping and cleaning up after this new life. This incredible gift that there is a season to that birth. And we came back to Melissa's mom, who probably in the next year to two years will pass because of her dementia. And there's a season to that too. The reality of life is that there is a time to be born and a time to die. There are seasons to these things. Let me go down to verse 3. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. And the older I get, the more I understand a time to break down. Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And when you go down to verse 6, a time to gain and a time to lose. What the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us is that God has put in place a process for us to work through grief, to work through loss. That there is a time to weep and a time to mourn. And when we weep and when we mourn, it's okay to weep and to mourn because there is a time to die. There is a time for that sadness. There is a time for that loss. The Jewish culture believes that you have at least a year at minimum. Mandatory mourning period. Unfortunately, we here in the Western world, when are you going to get over this? When are you going to get beyond this morning stuff? Come on. Put... Friends, God put a process in place for us to weep and to mourn in order to heal. That that healing of a loss doesn't come quickly. Because there's a good way to grieve. And the first thing to understand in grieving is that it is normal. It is normal to be in grief. It is normal to mourn. The second thing we understand is that it's necessary to grieve. If we bottle all that stuff up, it's going to explode somewhere at some time. The first thing we, or the third thing we understand is this. Everybody grieves at a different rate. You won't grieve the same way I will. I won't grieve the same way you will. Spouses don't grieve the same way at the same time. Some of them get over it quicker than the other. Some of them are verbal. Some of them are quiet. The... The understanding that Ecclesiastes gives us is that there is a time for that. Notice it doesn't say, and that time, by the way, is three months. We don't get that here. What we get is that there is a time and a season for weeping and mourning. Why? Because when healing occurs, there is a time then to dance. There is a time to praise. There's a time to laugh. And there's a time to understand through this process the gain of knowing Christ in a way we could never know him before unless we suffered through that loss. The beauty of it is he walks through it with us. So there is a time to walk through that grieving process. We dare not cut it short. Listen to what he says at the end. 
He says, what profit has the worker that in, from that in which he labors? I have seen God-given tasks with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Boy, does that sound familiar. In the midst of that brokenness comes beauty. He has also put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. In other words, we have this this process that we work through, the closer we get to Christ, it matters how we grieve. It matters how that process works because there's an eternal perspective here. And no, we can't understand all the eternal perspective, but there's an eternal perspective here. There is a time to grieve and a time to mourn and a time to weep so that through the appropriate healing of that grief that God graciously grants us, we can come to a time to laugh and to dance and to see the gain of knowing Christ differently than we ever could through that process. That's a tough message, I know. But it's a message we desperately need to hear because grieving is different for everybody. Not everybody bucks up and says, man, I'm going to plow through this. No. Grieving may take a year or two years, or three years. But if we appropriately let the process of grief take its place because there's a season for it, we will find a new beginning at the end of that. And a new beginning that launches us into laughing and dancing. In the midst of personal loss like this, God provides healing through that grief process. There's a third thing he gives us in the midst of loss this personal loss, and that is he gives us a place. Listen to John 14. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Boy, you'd just like to put a period right there, right? Let not your heart be troubled. Why? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. What we're promised from Christ is that we not only have a place here. In the midst of earthly life, we not only have a place here as believers in Jesus Christ, and it's in the body of believers that we have a place here, but we also have a place for how long? Forever. Eternity. We have a place. And by the way, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a place of my choosing. It's a place that Christ has built for me. And there's a, there's a huge element of the fact that he cares enough for me that he goes to prepare a place for me and he's going to come back and get me. And when he gets me and he takes me, this place that he's created for me is going to be beyond my wildest imaginings. And so in the midst of loss, we get this understanding that there's not only a place for us here in the midst of the body of believers because we are the body of Christ to one another on earth we are the ones that surround each other. We are the ones that hold each other up. We are the ones that minister to each other. But also, we are the ones that will have an eternal place. And that's the promise that we get. He provides hope through that. So we get this wonderful, wonderful provision of a person in God himself. We get this wonderful provision that through this, we not only have a grief process, but we have a place that we know is ours, both here and in eternity. 
And you know what? That can make loss bearable. Let me switch gears here and talk to you about material loss real quick. And I'm going to give you maybe a different perspective. This is not going to be in material loss and talking about what we've lost. This is not going to be a message about giving to the church. But I want to talk to you about an attitude of what God gives us in the midst of material loss that we need to be looking for. Here's the first. This comes out of Matthew 28. I want to read it to you. This is going to be a strange look at it. And you're going to read this passage and go, Mark, you are out of your mind. What are you talking about? But I want to unveil it for you. Matthew 28. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them. His disciples came at night and stole, away, stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day." Take you back just for a minute. This is the resurrection scene. There is a series of guards, standing guard to the tomb, and they're under the penalty of death for three reasons. Number one, penalty of death if they're caught sleeping. Number two, penalty of death if the Roman seal is broken on that tomb. And the third is penalty of death if their prisoner escapes. Now, this was a pretty good gig because the guy's dead, right? So if the prisoner escapes, it's going to be a really interesting story if he got up and walked out of there. But here's what they witness. These guards witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they run back into town to tell the magistrate, this is what's happened. They come back in to tell the chief priests and the scribes because it's a Jewish guard, here's what's happened. Here's our testimony. And what they're told is, we want you to tell this lie. We want you to say that you fell asleep. Excuse me, um, penalty of death if I fall asleep? Yeah. We want you to say you fell asleep, and we want you to say the disciples stole the body. Um, excuse me, penalty of death if the body is no longer there? Yeah, penalty of death, too. And in order to get that, the stone has to be rolled away, penalty of death, three. So what you're telling us is we have to tell the entire world that we escaped the penalty of death because we fell asleep, the Roman seal was broken, and the body was carted away by these disciples where we were armed guards and these disciples had headed for the hills. What you're wanting us to do is to do that, and you're going to pay us in order to tell a lie. Scripture says they took the money. When we have a situation in which we find ourselves in material loss, here's what I want to ask you. Do we give up our testimony of Christ for the pursuit of money? What I want to tell you here is that God has given you a testimony. Please, please don't let that testimony be taken away from you in the midst of losing money by pursuing it in a way that you shouldn't. Your testimony is much more valuable than any financial situation on this earth. And sometimes God takes us through very difficult financial situations so that our testimony about Him in the midst of it is what rings true. Look at what's going on in your own life and ask yourself the question, am I pursuing Christ or am I pursuing money? I want you to hear what David Livingstone said. This is the great explorer. He said, I will place no value on anything that I have or possess. 
except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. If anything I have will advance that kingdom, it shall be given or kept, whichever will best promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes, both for time and eternity. In the midst of financial difficulties, in the midst of material loss, are we still going to pursue Christ? Are we going to pursue what the world tells you is important? What God provides is an incredible testimony that is a foundation piece to what your faith is all about. He gives us the right perspective to see him in the midst of even those difficult times. As a second thing that God provides, he provides generously. Listen to Matthew 6, verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye, Christ said. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now let me give you a little bit different translation here. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is generous, your whole body will be illumined. There is an attitude that God wants us to have in the midst of this, and he offers that opportunity by allowing us and giving us the command, basically, to be generous as he has been generous to us. He has blessed us enormously. And what he's looking for out of his children is for us to return that blessing by being generous. Listen to what Timothy says in 1 Timothy 6. Let them do good that they be rich in financial well-being. What does it say? That they be rich in what? Good works, because let's be honest, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, what is judged? Our financial well-being? Our good works. What did we do on this earth? And listen to how he goes on, ready to give and willing to share. There's that generous spirit that comes because we recognize how generous God has been with us. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of an eternal life. What he's telling us is this is laying up your treasure in heaven. Because here's the deal. What we do in this life matters for now and for eternity, right? We've said that time and time and time and time again. And nothing makes more sense to that than a generous spirit. A generous spirit that gives of time and talents and money and energy. A generous spirit that gives and God rewards a generous spirit that gives, not only in this life with the blessing, in, with the blessing of him, his presence here, but also in eternity. Because it stores up for us the rewards in eternity. Selwyn Hughes says it this way. He says, if your eye, your outlook on life, your whole way of looking at things and people is generous, then your whole personality is illumined. It lights up. You see, Jesus had little to give in terms of finances, but he was generous toward all the sick, the needy, the maimed, the, the sinful, the unlovely. His whole personality was full of light. So, be like Jesus. <laughs> There's the answer. Be like Jesus. Begin to see everyone and everything with a generous eye. He says one of the best definitions of, of Christianity is simply this. Give, 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 give. We have been given abundantly. And what God asks us to do is to have that heart that's ready to give and willing to share. And by that, store up the good works for all eternity. And you get a chance to do that now, even when it looks like you've lost everything. You see, God gives us a purpose even in the midst of financial loss. 
Even in the midst of material loss, God puts a purpose out there and the opportunity is there for us to do good in the midst of that and be like Jesus. The final thing he provides, he provides grace. Listen to Philippians 4.19. Paul, concluding this letter, says this, And my God shall supply a couple of your needs according to the little bit that he has in glory by Christ Jesus. No, what it says is my God will supply how many of your needs? Do I believe that? He will supply all my needs. Seminary professor told me he'll supply my needs, not my greeds. Right? He will supply my needs according to his riches. And by the way, his riches are not necessarily material. His riches are the things we've been talking about. In the midst of brokenness, it is the building up of our spiritual nature, the building up of our faith, the building of our patience, the things that matter for eternity, not just for now, because now has a season. And that season will end. What he says to us is he shall supply all your need according to what he says. Let me define need for you here. Selwyn Hughes defines need this way. We need as much as will make us physically, mentally, and spiritually fit for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Does that mean he could supply you with wealth? Sure. Could he supply you with incredible resources? Yeah. Could he supply you with a great brain? Sure. Could he supply you with a multitude of things you never dreamed of? Yeah. And then he puts a generous heart in you to say, be generous because I have graced you by telling you I will supply any need that you have. Let me know. I'll supply the need according to the incredible riches that I have at my disposal. Do we trust him to supply the need? Not give us this day our 401k. But give us this day our daily bread. Give me this day what I need because I'm dependent upon you. Melissa and I have had, down through the course of our years, when we were early in our marriage, we made the determination that we were going to tithe. We were young. We were early in business, not making a whole lot of money, but we determined we were going to tithe. And friends, let me just tell you, and this is not to hold me up to any standard at all, but I will tell you, watching God work in the midst of obedience to what we felt the Holy Spirit calling us to was an enormous blessing to us. I've had no greater area of spiritual growth, faith growth, than in this area. And it's no matter what our financial situation was, we continued to give. And we continued to give at a certain level because that's what we felt the Holy Spirit was calling us to. And we've come close to running out of money on three separate occasions in 32 years of marriage. And in the midst of that, we've looked back on years in which they were tough years, tough financial years. We've looked back, Melissa calls it God math, where we look back on a year and we go, there is no, no way that we should be solvent. We should be completely underwater. And yet we've seen God work time and time and time and time and time again, his faithfulness to us. For this little bit of obedience. Hallelujah. It's unbelievable. It, it is the area that I see God work time and time again. My exhortation, my challenge to us is, God is gracious. God is incredibly generous. 
God gives us unbelievable foundation for a testimony in him if we will pursue him and not the world. And once he blesses us with whatever he blesses us with, use it for his purposes and his kingdom. And we will find, we'll find those good works that get stored up here and are wonderful here, but they're stored up for all eternity. And that's one of those days when we stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want that? So in the midst of loss, there are real difficulties in the, mid, in the midst of loss. Personal loss. Loss of a family member, loss of someone close. But we see God come in the midst of that and provide abundantly over and over and over again. A person, a process, a place. He gives us belonging and he gives us a way to work through it. And when there's material loss that can break us, God shows up. And he shows up with a testimony of him in the middle if we will pursue him. He shows up with a generous heart that he asks us to be generous no matter what we have. And he pours his grace upon us by supplying the need in ways that we would never anticipate it. I want you to do something with me. I want you to put both your hands out like this and I want you to close them in fists. Close them tight in fists. And now I want you to, to think about all the things that you hold on to tightly. It could be a person. It could be family members. It could be things around you. It could be money. It could be a house. It could be two cars. It, it, think about those things that you hold to tightly that the world tells you you have to have. Now look down at those two fists and see if there's any place that God can stick a blessing there's not. I want you to open your fists into open hands and see that when you give those things to the Lord and see what he provides, what he pours into your open hands are blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing, starting with himself. He gives you himself. And he gives you a grief process. And he gives you a place to belong now and for eternity. He gives you a, the foundation of your testimony of him working in your life. He gives you the abundant generosity of the God of the universe who pours on you generously. And he gives you grace. Grace in abundance. That's what he gives you. To that end, what I ask us to do now is to go through life with hands like this. Because it's when hands are open, we are open to whatever God wants to put in them, to be used however God wants to use it, even in the midst of loss. Even in the midst of the personal and the material loss. Tough places to be, but what God can do with open hands is create incredibly beautiful things out of your loss. Thank you for listening to the Strong at the Broken Places series. Stay tuned for next week as Mark helps us know what to do when in doubt.
You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.